To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with GEICO, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico, great service without all the drama. Welcome to El Telejohn's La Liga Weekly. Here are the classified football results from the recent round of internationals. Russia, nil. Hungary, nil. Greece, nil. Kosovo, nil. Lithuania, nil. Albania, nil. Azerbaijan, nil. Cyprus, nil. Liechtenstein, nil. San Marino, nil. Bosnia, nil. Netherlands, nil. Poland, nil. Italy, nil. France, nil. Portugal, nil. Ireland, nil. Wales, nil. Kazakhstan, nil. Albania, nil. Andorra, nil. Malta, nil. Slovakia, nil. Ireland, nil. Scotland, nil. Israel, nil. Spain, nil. Portugal, nil. Oh my goodness me. 14 goalless draws and 16 one nils. And that's just in Europe. I couldn't bring myself to look at the rest of the world. I'm going to look up the rules for the Snappily title Euro 2020 to be played in 2021 to see what happens when every group game finishes nil-nil. I think we're going to need bigger goals, Terry. Uh, we'll talk international football and then we've got some questions from our Patreons about the standard of refereeing in La Liga and the financial meltdown facing club football. And I might start reading up the number of people who've died every day just to cheer us all up <laughs> like they do on the news. There is actually a webpage called World Death Clock. It just ticks around estimating how many people have died. <laughs> And we worried whether Jordi Alba is going to be fit to play Satafi this weekend. Uh, thank you to the Patreons for your questions at patreon.com forward slash LTEL. You can sign up for $5, £4.50. Uh, you can pay more if you like. There is some exclusive content on there. We will do a weekend uh, preview that we'll record later. Uh, but of course, we'll carry on with the, the free podcasts reviewing La Liga and looking back. At the internationals, this particular round of games. So we've got some questions coming up, Terry, but I did promise uh, international football uh, first of all. And, uh, well, Daniel's first question was, uh, what ha- where's, why can't Spain score goals? Uh, and what's happened to their creativity in the last six years? Uh, and you can widen it, can't you, with that list of scores? I mean, that's genuine. They were the scores, you know, from, from the recent round of games, all those nil-nils. Um, so, what's happened to international football? <laughs> well, I, th- I think first of all, the, well, we, I was rather surprised. I, I wasn't aware that it was happening that we had three games in this two-week period, which yeah, is, is crazy. Isn't it? Yes, it is. It, it's one game too many. We've, we're five weeks into five rounds into La Liga. Um, I know, admittedly, some clubs have been you know, three games in, four games in. Those that started later. But it just seems foolhardy for us then to... This is the second bout of international fixtures already this season. There's another one in November. And it just seems utterly ridiculous in this congested season, shortened season, that we're having an extra international game. And, and it's not leading. It's it's not useful at all, I don't think. For, for the international managers, the only use is they can rotate the players, get the opportunity to look at some players that may not have had opportunities in, in competitive games, um, when I'm, I'm talking about you know, European Championship qualifiers, World Cup qualifiers, and the tournaments themselves. So the, the International League is, is still, the Nations League is still a vehicle to try and you know, give players opportunities that might not get it in those other games. 
but the extra friendly is, is absolutely ridiculous. So, so what we're seeing now from most of the international teams is unfamiliar starting lineups. So in terms of building towards the European Championships at the end of the season, the managers are not getting the opportunity to do so because they do have a responsibility to the, the health of the players, not overplaying them. They have a responsibility, of course, to their club sides who are going to be playing games left, right and centre. I think the realisation that this is going to be a unique season is just dawning because, as I said, we're five rounds into La Liga. We've had two international breaks. Champions League starts next weekend. The big clubs all around Europe are going to be playing four or five games in the next 10, 14 days. And that's on the back of three international matches. So I, I hate to say it, but I think there is a distinct lack of enthusiasm now. I might just be speaking for myself, but in terms of these rounds of international fixtures, despite the fact it's semi-competitive in the Nations League, but I think that we're pushing the barriers too far in terms of getting the players out there, you know, playing game after game after game. So perhaps there's a case yeah, of too I mean, much football all round. The friendly just makes no sense, no. does it? I mean, you know, the, I like the Nations League last season, you know, the last couple of years it was on because it, it got rid of the friendlies almost, didn't it? And gave it some focus, some, competi- some competitiveness. Uh, but there's no, you know, we, we don't desperately need it this time round. Uh, given the circumstances. So it could have gone, really, the Nations League this time. Uh, but definitely to squeeze in an extra round of friendlies just makes no sense whatsoever. You know, that Andorra-Portugal game coming up next month. I mean, what, what, who, how did that meeting go that they ended up deciding um, to, to play that game? Uh, on the upside, though, uh, I mean, let, let's talk about Spain's performances, shall we? So they got a 1-0 win against Switzerland, which I thought they played very well. Um, but, you know, could have got done on the break. And then against Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian goalkeeper played very well. They sort of got, they got robbed, well, not robbed, that's unf- as if Ukraine had done something wrong, but uh, they got done in a, in a you know, a, a classic 1-0, uh, having, have, you know, dominated possession and created quite a, quite a few chances. Yes, they did. And it, that happens. I mean, it is one of those things. I mean, Ukraine didn't purposely sit back. They didn't purposely allow Spain to dominate possession, but that's how the game played out. But, you know, Ukraine have got some quality players. I think they're going to be dark horses in the European Championships. I think they're well-coached, well-organised. They've got some talent in attacking positions. And they're a hard team to break down, despite losing 4-0 in the first game between the two. So it's, it's always going to be a tough game. I, I'm, I'm undecided about how Luis Enrique is doing because the, the reasons I just said about the constant chopping and changing of starting 11s, um, but I think we're beginning to see a pattern develop almost by accident with the introduction of Ad- Adama Traore. Um, and I think there are some issues that need to be sorted out in the Spain team. There's lots of players not involved. I have no idea whether this is going to be a continuation, whether they're not going to be brought back into the squad. I know one, one or two players were ill, injured, su- such like. Um, but there are still some talented players not being included, which is, you know, in the case of Sal of Atletico Madrid, for instance, I think that's a surprising omission that's been happening a while now. Um, Tiago and Fabian Ruiz were not in the squad because of coronavirus um, issues. Um, so it's, uh, but I think primarily now that there is some Enrique's job is now to, to get a definitive style and pick the best players according to the style that he wants to play. And I think the the impact that Adama Traore has had might have led to one or two changes from Luis Enrique 
from maybe you know two or three weeks ago before he'd had the opportunity to play Troy Ari out on the right wing. So I think there was there was you know plenty to be positive about, but I just don't see it at the moment of it being any use to what we're going to see from Spain at the end of the season in the European Championships. So let's let's talk about Adama Torre, shall we? So he, he's made his competitive debut now for Spain. So that's it. He can't play for, for Mali anymore. I think it's been uh, long overdue. Uh, now, my my view of Adama Torre, since it, obviously I've watched a lot of Middlesbrough, uh, and at Middlesbrough, I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was, you know, he was playing under Tony Pulis. So Middlesbrough defending very, very deep with, you know, a big row of centre-backs and he got Middlesbrough up the pitch. He was playing in the Championship. He got kicked to, to high heaven. Um, so it was no surprise that he, when he wanted to move back into the the, the top league and he went to Wolves. Um, I think the I think the commentary on Adama Traore is about as harsh as it is on any player, Terry, because I think there is sort of an expectation that every ball he puts into the penalty area should somehow be perfect. No, no other player delivers perfect delivery every single time. But because he's so good at getting into crossing positions, because of his explosive speed and because, you know, he's, he's skillful and he's so strong, I think his delivery is good. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's not perfect, but I think his, his, you know, his delivery is good. And I think, you know, as an impact player, as a, as a, as a player to unlock tight games, I think he's a remarkable asset. Oh, totally. And perhaps we can change the narrative because he's not the first player, John, that's, Accused of getting into good positions, but his final passes and you know the quality it should be. Jesus Navas is another example of that. For years, he's been criticised about his crossing ability, but it's you know when you compare the two players, I mean they're both ironically playing down the same flank for Spain now, and I think mm-hmm. the, the sheer amount of crosses they get into the box means that you know a, a percentage of them won't be the quality that they should be. But on one hand, you could have a winger that gets maybe two or three crosses in of good quality, or you get a, a winger like Chiori or Jesus Navas that get 10, 15 in. And 10 are of the really good quality, five may not be. What's better? I'd rather have, I know what I'd rather have. I'd rather have a winger that's doing his job that's getting cross in after cross. And we're probably talking 10, 15, 20 crosses from Adana Chiori in that game. So I think it's uh, the, the issues I have with, with Spain at the moment are he is an attribute that they have to make the most of because it's, it's not just about his pace. It's the amount of players that he draws towards him now when, you know, you can see him when he, the ball goes to his feet, he's in possession and you can see two or three players immediately leave their you know positions to go out to cover him, to cover each other. Therefore, that must leave players in other positions, you know, in space. So I think it's, it's a fantastic asset to have. My issue with Spain at the moment is, is even Fatty down the left. They've got quality wingers and they've got quality attacking fullbacks. In the game against Ukraine, it was Regidon and Navas. And it kind of, this, the strength of the team was down the flanks. And they kind of ignored the central positions. And then when they, the balls were coming into the penalty area, there weren't enough players of sufficient style, not quality, the style to get into the penalty box to get on the end of those numerous crosses that were either coming in from the fullbacks or the wingers. So I think somehow, I mean, it, almost, you know, looking at Navas and looking at Regulon, maybe Jordi Elba, um, Amat might be another player that plays on the left, Jose Gaia. I mean, they've got the quality. They've got Danny Carvajal that could also play on the right side as well. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking sometimes it's best just to leave the wingers alone. In particular, Triori. I mean, you're not going to overlap him. So do you need the attacking fullbacks 
as well as the, the the wing play. Do you need the wing play if you've got attacking fullbacks? I think that's something Luis Enrique has to solve. But the obvious problem is going to be the fact that Luis Enrique has, has been reluctant to play a traditional centre forward, traditional number nine. But if you're getting that many crosses into the box, that's exactly what you need. So the, you know, the, the, the talk in Spanish press has been who can be that number nine, not only because they didn't they only scored one goal in these three games, but who can be the number nine to make the most of the attributes and, and the, the quality of Traore in particular. Fatty is a, a slightly different winger, isn't he? comes in on his right foot from the left. But with Traore, it's all about getting the ball out of his feet, getting you know past the fullback or not getting past the fullback and still getting crosses in. So just the, the quantity of crosses he gets in is something that has to make Luis Enrique you know, look at and think, well, what type of striker do I need to be getting on the end of those? Rodrigo did once or twice. Oh, yes, well, isn't that type of striker. He, he doesn't even play on a regular basis at centre-forward for Real Sociedad. This only happened recently where he's stepped into that position or maybe the number 10 preferably position. So that seems a, a, a non-starter, in my opinion. Great player that he is. Um, but he's not the player to be getting on the end of those crosses. So then you start looking at the, the candidates that could do that. And I think Gerard Moreno, he was injured for that game. He's the player that's relatively good in the air. Um, and, I, and I'm looking at Paco Alcacer, who's got a, a decent record at international level. And again, another good player, but is, is it his strength? Is his strength being the traditional number nine that attacks crosses? Probably not. Um, and then you're looking at Maratta, whose record in international football is excellent, 17 in 33. He's more of the style that they need. And then you look at Diego Costa. I mean, Diego Costa is 32. We do talk about him as if he is a, a veteran. He's six, seven years younger than Jorge Molina, for instance. He's younger than Messi, he's younger than Luis Suarez. But we've been talking about Costa as if he's sort of a spent force. If he could have a good season for Spain, uh, for Atletico, then I could, you know, why couldn't he be a solution to the problem? Because, you know, you're not asking Diego Costa to run around the pitch, drop deep, pull into wide positions. You're, you'll be asking Diego Costa to do two things. Apply pressure on the defence when they've got the ball. He's the first line of defence. So he has to show that attitude. And then when the attacks are flying down the wings with attacking fullbacks or attacking pacey wingers, just get yourself on the end of half the crosses that come into the box. So I, I still think he could be a possibility, but he has to first and foremost start you know, playing on a, a regular basis, which he will do at Atletico. There's enough games for him to, to have an impact this season. If he was to get into double figures for goals, why wouldn't you have him an option as an option, in the, in the, at least in the squad? Other players mentioned have been Jaime Mata, who's that big, tall centre-forward. Age goes against him, but it shouldn't. I mean, if you're looking at a player that just has an impact next summer in the, the European Championships, why not? I obviously Perez has had a mention, but he's not that style. Uh, Raul de Thomas, possibly, but he's playing second division football. Mariano Diaz, not getting a game at Real Madrid, which is a shame because I think he is dynamic enough and you know decent in the air that he could fulfil that role. Uh, Borja Iglesias at Real Betis, nowhere near at the moment because his goal-scoring record for Betis, but he has that profile, doesn't he, which he showed at Espanyol, of being the, the lone striker that gets on the end of crosses. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of time left for a player to have an impact in La Liga or elsewhere in another league in, in, in Europe. 
um, to suggest that he could possibly be the maybe the final piece in the jigsaw. I mean, I'm looking at the starting lineup, looking at the players like Jordi Alba, Calvajal, we have mentioned mentioned of that weren't in the squad, Fabian Ruiz, Thiago, Sal, Koke, Diego Urenti, Inigo Martinez, Mario Hermosa. There's, there's, in terms of quantity, there's lots of good players to call upon. Um, but Luis Enrique, like all the international managers, will be looking at maybe you know, 14, 15 core of players that he can really count on that will be his first choice players in terms of a starting level and substitutions in, in next year's European Championships. At the moment, I would suggest he's a million miles away from doing that just because of the, the sheer number of players that are playing. But as I said, that is similar to, you know, even England. England would be like that. England is trying to invest in players. You don't know from one game to the next who's going to be, what system, what, what's... Is it back four, back three? Um, who's going to be playing up front? Who's going to be playing wide, midfield, deep midfield, hold midfield? It's that's the the, the issue that the international managers have at the moment. Uh, yes, right. Anyway, that's enough of international football for the time being. For until until next month when we have another sixteen friendlies and uh, another twelve goals to talk about. Uh, right. So we've got some of our Patreon's questions. We'll take a little bit of a break and then we'll come back with those questions. <laughs> Do-it-yourself doesn't have to mean all by yourself. Help is as close as homedepot.com slash workshops. Now with free DIY live stream workshops, live hands-on courses from real expert associates. Learn how to install floor tile, create a tile backsplash, replace a thermostat, and more. All from the best seat in the house, yours. To register, go to homedepot.com slash workshops. Only from the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome back. So thank you to our Patreons for your support at patreon.com forward slash LTEL and for your questions. Uh, and as, as I say, it's not exactly going to cheer us up, uh, these questions. But uh, Henry has sent one uh, that says, Watching Osasuna every week and other Spanish matches, I get constantly frustrated at the standard of refereeing. In fact, Spanish matches are often the only time I notice the referees and who they are. Imagine... The disappointment when, during my break from them, one appeared at Wembley. And despite getting the red card decision right, that's Harry Maguire, uh, yep, I agree, uh, showed all the qualities that I've been sadly accustomed to in La Liga, even managing to wind up the ever-calm Gareth Southgate. Do you share the opinion on refereeing standards in La Liga? Will they ever get better? As this is nothing new, games are too stop-start, cards are brandished far too easily and he can't seem to have any dialogue with them as a player. I should add that I don't really like talking about referees as they're an easy excuse for many and I prefer to focus on the team's performance, but it is something that has irked me for many years in the Spanish game. Uh, all the best. Keep up the good work. I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's, it was Jesus Hulamanthano. Uh, so if you if you weren't watching the game, uh, it, it, it sent off Harry Maguire quite rightly. That was Harry Maguire's fault entirely. He gave a very uh, dodgy penalty. I don't want to moan about that too much because obviously as an Englishman, it sounds like you're just moaning about, well, we lost the game because of the referee kind of stuff. And that's how we've ended up with VAR because of people moaning too much about that. But I think Henry's point, I agree with Henry's point. Um, he allowed when Denmark, when Denmark had 11 against England's 10, they were able to ruin the game, I thought, with a series of small niggly fouls um, and lots of niggly decisions that allowed Denmark to really kill off the game. Uh, and I'm not sure that's good refereeing. No, it isn't. Um, I think Paulson, in particular, the centre forward, I was surprised how many 
he was allowed to get away if he was doing his job. He was get, doing as much as he could without getting punished. Um, but I think in, in, in general terms, the standard of referees in Spain, I, I have to be honest, I don't think it's any worse, any better than anywhere else now because of the influence of, of VAR and also the influence of the the familiar laws of the game. So we're, we're seeing the handball laws applied throughout the European leagues. So it's the same in the Premier League as it is in La Liga. In the past, we did have a different set of laws, didn't we, in, in Spain? I can remember one particular period where whenever it hit someone on the arm, accidental or not, it was a yellow card. Do you remember that? So yeah, that was yeah. their own law, you know, laws of the game, their own, you know, how they applied it. Whereas now I, I do look and I think that, you know, it can be, I get frustrated when I, I see players punished for hard challenges, not fouls, just going in. It's, it's, it's deemed to be overly aggressive, but that was the, so for some players, that is their role in the team to be a ball winner. And sometimes you do see replays of tackles and you're thinking, yeah, he's gone in hard. He's gone in harder than his opponent, but it's not a foul but he's been punished because he's been more aggressive, more determined. Um, so that has been in taken out of the game, which leads me again to the, the feeling that that happens in the Premier League as well now. You know, it's so I, I do find the, not as, I don't find as many differences now between La Liga refs and the Premier League refs. Whereas in the past, I, I have thought there was a, 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 a you know, a decent sized gap between the, the quality and the nature of how they applied the laws in, in La Liga. Therefore, you know, players, as soon as there's contact going down and them getting, you know, free kicks and, and they're getting players' opponents booked. But I think that happens now in the Premier League as well. So I think it could be an improvement. I think they're better in England than in Spain, would be my view. Watching a lot of, you know, I try and watch every game from both uh, every every weekend. And I... I yeah, I, I just think that I think England. I don't, we moan, we moan so much in England about the referees, and then sometimes I'm thinking, yeah, but you, honestly, you want to uh, have a look in in La Liga. I, I take your point. Uh, it's all a lot more homogenous now, isn't it? There isn't the uh, the game is more is is more similar now, isn't it? In, in from one yes. country to the other, um, and you know, obviously, you know, uh, uh, the movement of of coaches of players. Um, the influence of television, as, as you say, Azerbaijan, Cyprus playing like Pep Guardiola's team from uh, 2009. You know, so that that's definitely the, you know a way it's gone. But you know, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with Henry. I, I still think that um, that I think the Spanish refs are of a, a lower standard and fussier. But uh, obviously, the you know we've got VAR, which sits like a wet blanket on the 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 top of the whole thing. But we don't have it in the uh, Nations right. League, so therefore. No, but it's good though, isn't it? Because when you're commentating on it, yeah. it's like when you, you know, commentate on the championship sometimes, and you know the referee points to the penalty spot, and 30 seconds later they take a penalty. Does, is that um, taken away from the the natural reaction of the the referee now? So in, in most of the games they officiate in, they've got the backup of VAR, and then we then yeah. we actually see whether they're any good or not when they they're, they're refereeing yeah. without yeah. VAR. So I think yeah. that, that's going to be yeah, a yeah. big issue. Um, and you know it's all well and good just to give away a, give a penalty because you think oh that might have been a penalty in you know normal circumstances gets checked by VAR if it's not you know no one thinks any worse they don't think you've you know you've let everybody down you've made a mistake we move on the right decision has been made but when there isn't VAR then we're seeing the true you know the, the raw materials of referees whether they're up to the job or not yeah 
Uh, right, more questions. Uh, this, this this cheer is up, Terry. Uh, Richard talking about Project Big Picture in the UK. So he says, we've been hearing a lot of Project Big Picture here in the UK, but very little traction in Spain about finances and at least a plan to get fans back in. Do you fear some clubs there in the same way as many here are saying that disaster looms unless something is done quickly? I mean, on the on the upside, I would say, Terry, is that, you know, I think is it six years now they've had the, the financial mm-hmm. fair play in La Liga. And thank heavens for that, because if something, you know, if, if this pandemic and all the sh- all the closed grounds had happened 10, 20 years ago, it could have it could have wiped out a, a good number of clubs, couldn't it? So at least they are forced to. I mean, not that they're all brilliantly run, but you know, at least they they are forced to stay within certain parameters, which has at least given them some leeway in this current situation. And, and, and most importantly, the, the fairer distribution of TV revenue. Without that, yeah. they the fifteen of the teams would be in trouble. Um, that was the case. I think it was hundred and eighty players a season were owed money from their clubs back in, you know, over a de- just over a decade ago. At the end of each season, there was approaching two hundred players that were owed. You know, their salaries owed money from their clubs. That doesn't happen anymore. So there's been a, a massive improvement in terms of the finances and the running of, of La Liga. And there's only two leagues to, to really sort of take care of as well, two full-time professional leagues to take care of financially. But it, it does appear on, on the face of it that, you know, that the clubs are, oh, of course, they all want supporters back in the stadium. We all do. And but it appears on the face of it, you know, they have made the necessary adjustments. You know, there have been wage cuts at, pretty much across the board, with all the, the players from all all of the clubs getting involved. Um, but no, I think we we all long for the you know supporters to be back in the stadium. I, do you know what I, I the, the Operation Big Picture a load of touch that was. I mean, honestly, <laughs> we're the only league in Europe, and and. I, this is me getting on my soapbox here. We're the only league in Europe that have gone through this corporate promotion brand in different change, of, you know, league throughout Europe. I mean, the Bundesliga isn't called, oh, the incredible Bundesliga. La Liga <laughs> isn't called the fantastic La Liga. We're the only English, in England, we're the only one that felt the need to change our name from the Football League, first division, to the Premier League. Now, I was wondering, well, what are they going to call this one? That would have been a great name, wouldn't it? The Big Picture League. That would have been for absolutely, <laughs> that would have been the, the perfect name for that. And, you know, I, I, I'm, glad it, I'm glad, I'm not sure it's gone away for good, but I'm glad that it was done and dusted in two or three days. I really did feel the way that it went, the, the, the clubs that involved when it, about it was underhand. There was clubs in the Premier League that still didn't have any knowledge. They were talking to Rick Parry, of, of course, played a major part in this um i don't want a league where you know i love me american sports don't get me wrong but it, i love it because of the sport and stuff but and i don't know any different but there's no relegation promotion in, in the american leagues and that's what they ultimately yeah. wanted here a band of clubs that could never get relegated um and and you know we would never allow leicester to win the league again um, yeah, I mean, we, we should explain what it was really, in, just in case people in other parts of the world haven't followed. It was basically Manchester United and Liverpool. Because there's a financial crisis, we've got four professional leagues in England, um, and four and a half really with the, the National League, then yeah. the first level of what used to be non-league. Um, so we've got that very deep, unique professional structure that goes that deep with, with professional clubs that you know operate and that play a big part in, in, in the life of, of you know British sports and, and the British culture. And so, so it's important to us. 
Um, they're in financial difficulty because they've overpaid their players. Mm. It's as simple as that. They've overpaid the their players because, the championship because they want to get up. Uh, and because the Premier League have had so much TV money, it's distorted the world market, as we've often discussed here, You know, with, with players being sold from you know, Valencia selling a player to Swansea, I remember a few years ago, Pablo Hernandez, thinking, what's happened to the world? But that's the way it's gone. But it's also distorted the, the English league as well, hasn't it? Because what you've got now are, a league, are clubs desperately trying to catch up and have overpaid players. So there is financial fair play now in the EFL and the Football League. Uh, so that's sensible. But the pandemic has hit. The grounds are closed because the government's ordered that. Uh, even though you can go and see Arsene Wenger in a theatre talking about football and, and, and indoors, sitting next to people, uh, but you can't go to an outdoor football ground. But you know, there, there we are. Um, so that that's it. And so basically, Manchester United and Liverpool came up with this secret plan that they'd agreed with the the the, the man who leads the football league, who used to be Liverpool's chief <laughs> executive, uh, all very all very handy, yeah. um, to basically right, we'll pay. We'll give you some money. We'll share the the TV money uh, a bit more uh, evenly, but it's at the cost that we want uh, stronger voting rights than the rest of the Premier League. And so it would be basically the, the big six and then three teams that they chose pretty spurious <laughs> reasons why they were involved in it. And they basically could make all the rules. So as you say, so stuff like no relegation wasn't on the agenda now, but as soon as you hand all the voting rights, mm. all the power to the big clubs, you know, sure as night follows day, that they will be back for to reduce the amount of relegation uh, in the future. There was there was talk of, of reducing the Premier League by two, only having two automatically go down. So already they were they were chipping away at it. Um, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it, it was it was annoying, wasn't it? it was but uh, and they made promises it, 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 about it, it, what they were going to yeah. do with the money now, but no promises about the future. That was yeah. so that, that element of trust yeah. thing came about because if those six can have all the voting power. Then who's to yeah. say in a year's time they go, no, we've changed their mind on that. Precisely. You give away your power now and they will come back for your yeah. money. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's as simple as that, isn't it? You give away your power um, at, at your at your long-term peril. Uh, right. Here's, right. We're going to cheer us up with a question about Valencia and ownership uh, <laughs> from, from Vlad. Uh, Valencia being run is an absolute farce. Unfortunately, not the first time a Spanish club has been run poorly by foreign owners. Uh, Racing Santander, Malaga. Uh, it's a problem affecting many clubs worldwide. Do leagues need to have due diligence to screen out poor owners? Funnily enough, that was in Project Big Picture, wasn't it? Yeah. In that they, the, the, the Liverpool-Manchester United proposal was that the, the existing clubs would get to decide who owns another <laughs> club. So, that, for example, so uh, Saudi Arabia or Saudi Arabia's investment company was trying to buy Newcastle. Now, you might think, yeah, who wants Saudi Arabia uh, involved in, in running your league? But who's making that decision? Manchester City, owned by Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, well, hang on. That's a, where, how, it's a, this sort of moral, uh, yeah. sort of, uh, total absence of any kind of morals or standards. Consist- there's no moral consistency, is there? No, no. And we had Wigan as well uh, in, in England, where it, Wigan was it was the championship club. It had been in the top division relatively recently. Not a massive club, not a massive historic club, in, in truth. Uh, but they were bought by a guy. Who then put them into administration like a month later, and you think, well, hey, what? That made no sense, did no. it? And, and it, just it was just baffling. Uh, so yes, uh, I mean, my answer is a very clear yes, but I don't know who is going to police it. That that that's the problem, isn't it? There, there doesn't seem to be enough um, strength of character or decisiveness from the people from the from La Liga from the Premier League uh, to 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 say. No, these are the standards. 
you know, this is what you've got to do if you want to run a football club. You can't just come in and be a Peter Lim or be like the guy at Wigan. Yeah, I don't think we should tarnish all foreign owners with, you know, bad ownership because there's there's been some fantastic ones. But in, in terms of, of what is happening at Valencia, which the, the question is about, then Peter Lim hasn't been a particularly great owner of, of Valencia. Um, they've had some good periods, but there always seems to be something happening around the corner to bring it all crashing down. And what we're seeing now is, you know, the, the, the squad has been decimated. I really do feel this season that they're going to be not perhaps facing a relegation battle, but they're going to be closer to the bottom than they are, you know, challenging for Champions League, which is a club, a club of Valencia stature should be doing. That's where they should be. It's, it's, it's historic, massive football club in Europe, not just in La Liga. And, you know, got this debacle about the new, the old new stadium. By the time that new stadium is finished, it's going to be old, if it ever gets finished. So it, it's, you know, obviously Valencia supporters, it's clear they want new ownership. Um, is that going to come from someone in Spain? Is it going to come from somewhere um, around the, from the rest of the world? My guess is probably that. Um, there was talk of the Leeds owners get involved in, in making a bid for Valencia as well um, to build up their mm. portfolio. So that's that's another that's another issue, isn't it? You know, we go back to Manchester City again with clubs buying other clubs in other leagues in Europe and being allowed to do it. You know, that's another yeah. conflict of, of interest. You know, we, we, we've seen in the past the Pozzo family with Watford, Udinese, Granada, Manchester City have got clubs all over the world now. And, and, the Leeds owners, is it Razziani? Razziani? Rad Razziani. They, they're, yeah. they're talking about adding Valencia to, to Leeds. Now, there's every possibility Valencia Leeds could be could meet each other in European competition, you know? So how would that fit? How does that sit with everybody? So there needs to be, you know, clearer laws, regulations and, you know, stipulations on anybody that's buying a football club from whatever part of the world they are. Um, but as I said, I think there are, there are some some good foreign owners of clubs around the world. Um, but in in Valencia's case, it hasn't worked out for them. It's not working out for Peter Lim. I think the sheer fact that the the amount of criticism he's getting um, does lead you to believe that if a suitable offer came along, he would take it. But you know, football supporters okay. they were they you know they were delighted when he came in. The club was in a in, in a mess um, before he came. We shouldn't forget that. And when he came in and he started signing players, you know, that they, they were they couldn't have welcomed him, you know, better. Um, but it has, you know, unfortunately it's a it's a huge responsibility being an owner of a football club because you're not just owning a business, you're owning a part of people's lives which they'll they'll never change. You know, you, you don't often yeah. hear of people changing their support from one club to another. Um, you know, once you yeah. pick a team, I mean, you're there for life. Football's always attracted some interesting characters and some dodgy owners, isn't it? Yeah. You know, in, in uh, certainly the the Italian league, likewise, the 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 English league, not so much Germany because they've got quite strict laws on how you who can own a football club and and you know fan ownership and all of that kind of stuff. So, would you obviously the you know the the, the sporting club model in in Spain is different, isn't it? And so, you know, a, a, a rich oil baron or you know some uh, you know guy who's made his money and and who knows how can't just go and buy Barcelona and Real Madrid. Exactly. Um, Thankfully, but, but, 
Yeah, yeah. But are there, does that place limitations on them when they are taking on a Paris Saint-Germain, which is you know, effectively owned by Qatar? Yeah, of course it does. It, it does. And, and you know, the, the, the amount of money they generate income, um, both of those clubs, has led to them in the past being the, the power, power, most powerful teams in Europe because they've got the attraction of, of the historic attraction, the, the two beautiful cities, and they had more money than anybody else. So if they wanted, when they wanted the Galacticos, when they wanted David Beckham, it wasn't hard to do. Zidane, Figo, even buying him from Barcelona, Roberto Carlos, you know, players are attracted, were attracted, and still are, to go to those two gigantic clubs. But now they are up against, you know, other clubs that are run by nations, uh, run by wealthy, very wealthy, you know, people that can keep pumping money into the club. And we've had this conversation before on the podcast about, uh, you know, the players that went to Manchester City, you know, in the early days. You know, for many years in, in Europe, Manchester United was known as Manchester. There was no yeah. United because it's not always, you know, the, the, the way that it's approached in, in, you know, a lot of the world where, you know, you, you don't always say the second part of the club. And in particular, Manchester United, everybody knew when you talked about Manchester, it was, there was the, that one club, Manchester. It didn't have to say United. So, it, you know, when there were these players were, were going to City, you know, at the beginning of the, the revolution, if you call it, you know, they were only going there for the one reason, and that was this new club. There is another club in Manchester. They're called City, uh, Manchester City. They were going there for the money. And, you know, we, we have seen, you know, other clubs around Europe. Um, there was, do you remember Spell World, the players were dashing off to, was it Angie Makala? Oh, Makala, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dashing yeah, off there yeah, yeah. Um, to, yeah. to play football because... And Neuchatel Zamax was going to be another <laughs> one as well, wasn't yeah. it? And it was just a, a case of, you know, wealthy owners coming in, throwing money at it. So they, 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 I'd prefer the, the sporting model. I prefer clubs to generate their own revenue. Um, and the big clubs historically should, will always be the big clubs. Um, I think yeah, it, but don't fix the rules. Don't fix the rules, no. So unless they yeah. want to come in yeah. and, and, and invest yeah. more and invest it wisely, for instance, in, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. Seville yeah. want to do it. Off. There should yeah. be no glass ceiling where Leicester or Sevilla in, in La Liga can't go and win the league, can't go and, you know, qualify for the Champions League. Because that would be another issue, the Champions League. When we go back to, yeah. you know, they were guaranteed participation in that every season. You know, the, the, the yeah. in, 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 particularly in the Premier League, you know, where there are, talk about the big six, um, but only four can get in the Champions League. They don't want that. They want all six in it. They want in the European Super League. And, you know, they, the last thing they want is a Leicester jumping into the group, uh, Everton, um, you yeah. know, Southampton or West Ham, someone else jumping in and, 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 and spoiling the party. So I, I don't think it's just about foreign ownership. It's just good. There are big differences between good owners and bad owners. And, you know, unfortunately, Valencia, it isn't working out. And, you know, the supporters clearly do want a change of ownership. Right, one quick question. I think it's quite. I think it's going to get a quick answer, Chris. Because Chris Mills says, uh, not related to other subjects, but why uh, did Valladolid versus Athletic Bilbao go to penalties in a friendly? <laughs> Seems a weird concept for a friendly. No idea. Yes. yes. No <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. idea. <laughs> Practicing, I guess, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, right. But they we, don't, when they're right. going to need it for the old Copa del Rey match. Those yeah. Two, yeah. Two teams. 
Yeah. And entertain the fans? Oh, no. Not that one either. Right. Stuart wants to know, which match would you recommend this weekend if I only have time to watch one game? But, Stuart, we've run out of time. So we will do a Patreon-only little weekend preview. Um, so thank you very much for listening. If you want to join in and, and join the Patreon fun, you can. Patreon.com. Uh, forward slash L tell. Uh, thank you to the Patreons. Thank you to everybody for listening. We will continue. We'll be back with a, another podcast looking back at La Liga uh, in the early part of next week. So we'll see you then. Bye bye. week at Macy's, it's time to update your home with 25 to 50% off clearance, plus an extra 20% off with your coupon or Macy's card. Or shop specials, like an extra 15% off kitchen essentials, like blenders, food prep, and more. Brand new bedding, 60% off. And the Radley five-piece chaise sectional, $1,879. Now at Macy's. Plus, Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase, except gift cards, services, and fees. Savings off sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply.